Yo, what's going on, guys? Welcome to a podcast. Not only is this a podcast, but it's our journey. A journey that we hope you want to ride out with us as we intend to educate you guys, inspire, talk about past and current experiences, and to make one think to stop judging others. Most importantly, stop judging yourself based on others' views and perceptions. With that said, you'll be hearing from me, myself, Austin Kirshner, but along with our journey on this podcast will be my mother, Kathy Kirshner, and my brother, Dylan Kirshner. With that said, welcome to Silencing of Stigma. We're going back to the roots. All right, what's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. We have two special guests with us today. And that is Mary Patterson and her husband, Ross Patterson. I say that right? Yes, she did. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. Um, If you want to go ahead and get started, Mary, and tell us how you heard about the podcast. Um, I heard about this through my son, Dave, who was on, I had written down what podcast. He was on number 12, but Dave originally told me when Tio and Dom were on the podcast, which number four, um... Dom and Dave were best friends in high school. I used to think of the two of them, that country song, Tattoos on This Town. Yeah. <laughs> so that was them. And then here I sit in, amazingly, the same position that Dom's in, fighting the, the battle of addiction. Um, I can't relate to the drug part. That was never my thing. But alcohol has certainly... Um, been a black part of my life but um yeah that's how I ended up sitting here today and I wanted to share my story and more importantly in the journey of getting better a lot of the tools that I've used to help me so yeah if you want to get started with your story um you said you've been drinking since you were 11 yeah. <laughs> if that's where you want to start, it's on me. <laughs> All right. For, for um, everybody out there, I am 54 years old. Um, How old are you, Mom? 52. How old are you, Dad? 56. Ross? 55. So we're all in the 50s here. <laughs> You're not. I'll be, I'll be 28 in January. So, um, yeah, I, I lived in a rural area, and one of my girlfriends, was. we were pitching a tent camping outside and she stole Natty Bows from her grandfather's refrigerator, hit them in the tent during the day and we drank them warm that night. Warm beer. <laughs> yeah. So um, it was probably a couple more years and then it was like stealing the um, cooking wine out of my mother's cabinet and my dad drank like ridiculous. Um, he's now a recovered alcoholic 30 some years but I grew up in active alcoholism, um, also mental illness on my mom's part. I don't really want to get into a lot of that out of respect from them, but it definitely has an effect on you as an individual. And certainly stole some beers from my father, but like all the families I was around for quite a while, that was the deal. The dads drank a lot, the moms didn't, the moms put up with physical and or verbal abuse. I had physical abuse as a child as well. Um, we had what I term the Puritan work ethic. This means you have no value as a being unless you are doing chores, working, producing something, um, which left me with 
not being able to sit well with myself and always feeling guilty if I ever did anything fun. So um, had a good deal of religious influence growing up, Southern Baptist, strict. I did break off with religion. My mom was excommunicated from the church based on my dad not going to church, is my understanding, and I was like, as dedicated as this woman is to religion and helping you all, and you tell her she's got to leave. Nope, I'm done. Um, so I ended up in a situation of being what they call parentified child. So a lot of my typical childhood didn't really exist. A lot of care for my sisters and household responsibilities that you didn't normally get. Um, one of the things I like to say is you sit there in study hall in high school and do your homework and those kind of things. No, yeah. I was sitting there writing a grocery list and a menu plan so I could go take care of the shopping. Um, so how many brothers and sisters did you have? Uh, two younger sisters. Okay. But my mom's mental illness, she has the same thing I have. I'll get into some of that in a minute. But mental illness doesn't happen overnight. And you decline after a while. And towards the end of when I was at the house, she was running on these highs like mania highs and would get so distracted in whatever she was doing a lot of volunteer work in the community and things and i would be picking up the slack of just running the household she eventually had to go for inpatient treatment after i had left home but um so yeah i kind of felt like i was raising a family myself at a very young age. And that was high school? Yeah, I probably that? started in high school. I okay. mean, there were times I could tell, this gets a little into, a little premature than what I thought about thinking, but um, am I talking? So with my dad drinking a lot, and when he would pull in the driveway at our house, I could tell whether or not we needed to escape for our safety. And he'd be pulling in the back driveway. I would be grabbing my sisters. We'd run out the front door and go down the street to the neighbors. And we would wait there until my mom would call and say it's safe to come home. Really? Yes. So I wanted to give this as an example later when I talked about some of my diagnosis, but it's, I have PTSD as one of the things. And People think, well, how do you get PTSD? You never went to war. You didn't have these horrible things happen. But, and I have a sister that's very unscathed by all of this. At at least that's what she says. So I believe her. We've talked about it. And people's brains react differently to trauma. And apparently my brain doesn't like trauma. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, that's traumatic if you got to run out of the house so you don't get hurt by your dad on a frequent basis. Um, which leading to how that affected me later, I know Ross and I were, are married Ross would drive a truck home. He'd get home from work and every day I'd be in a panic. Like, is everything going to be okay? Is everything, it took me a long time to get over. I'm not going to get hurt and I'm not going to get in trouble just because this man came home from work. Right. It had transferred. So, um, Mary, that's what they call a trigger though. And that was something that, you know, Mary and myself as someone living in the situation had to learn what triggers are, 
and how they affect Mary and myself. So um, I left home when I was 17. I felt really bad leaving my sisters behind, but I couldn't take it anymore. Uh, I was still in high school. I, believe it or not, moved in with a lady from the church, and that lasted till about when I graduated, and then I took off with a boyfriend who was no good, but... (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I ended up getting married. I had met, not to that boyfriend, but um, I had met a guy seven years older than me through his sister we worked at the same sub shop that i had been working at since i went to high school and i was like so excited i meet this guy and he's like six or seven years older than me he's got this great job he's got insurance benefits and all this stuff it's union job and on top of that he's freaking sober (laughs) 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 he's been out of recovery and i think that i have landed the gold mine (laughs) Because I, at this point, I'm, I'm 19. I marry him two months afterwards. So you said he was in recovery. He, yes. Okay. He was in recovery. We would, you know, go to the AA meetings and the NA okay. meetings. And yeah, I got PTSD from them too. Maybe that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, that, I really don't from that. But um, <laughs> so we had two kids and he starts using again behind my back. He's using alcohol or drugs as well? You know, I don't really know at okay. that time. Okay. Um, he had used both before we got married. Okay. And, you know, I was in like Cinderella land thinking, <laughs> <laughs> yay, my ship came in. But um, so he starts using again and he laid hands on me, strangled me one day. And when I left home at 17, I promised myself, one thing in life no matter what happened I would never live in an abusive situation again so I managed to get myself out of there um, started dating Ross took me forever to get divorced from that man Um, and eventually we got married Ross was my knight in shining armor (laughs) (laughs) Um, my first husband I actually got the call from his psychiatrist that said, if we can't get him in a facility, you need to leave town because he's going to come kill you. So, um, yeah, a little traumatic. But eventually that all settled. Um, Ross was going to rescue me that weekend. I didn't have any money. I was a single mom at that point, living in my own place. And I don't have any money for a hotel. And I call him at work you know back in those days we didn't have cell phones you had to call and leave a message with a lady in the office (laughs) and wait (laughs) that's what isn't that when computers started coming about and stuff like that they had pagers they had pagers and at that time i worked in a law firm and those the lawyers had cell phones but they were like big boxes Mm -hmm. um so anyway he says don't worry about it i'll get you out of town so i was like okay (laughs) He really was knight in shining armor. I like showed up at Christmas with a Christmas tree when I couldn't afford one with my kids and all that. So that's why he's still here. (laughs) It was just the Christmas tree that did it. But um, for those listening, he likes to talk, but he's trying to hold his tongue for us. So (laughs) he's doing a great job so far. (laughs) So um, we got married in 1992. 
had my third child, and um, he's all my kids are great. Um, my third child is in the military, so I have a heart for all the military people he, out there. He's the youngest, right? Or no, the oldest. Dave is the youngest. Well, Dave's yeah, the youngest. Dave was a fourth child, so Dave was born '93. Um, I left my full-time job working in the traditional corporate world in '94. Um, and we bought our house and moved to PA in 95. So I, I never really thought, just go back to my family of origin. I'd never thought anything was wrong with my family because the neighbors, it was all the same thing. They had these drinking dads, non-drinking moms, crazy situations. So I was, where I grew up, it was elementary school and then you went to high school. So in seventh grade, all these elementary schools are feeding into one high school and I met a girl that I really liked and we hit it off and she's like come spend the night at my house and I'm like okay so I got all my tours done enough that I had permission <laughs> to leave the fortress um and I was sitting there at the dinner table with them and I was like oh my god these people are all nice to each other and the dad's sitting here eating dinner with them and he's not ordering anybody around. And the light bulb went off. There's something really wrong with my family. And that's when I knew. And of course, some of the physical, yeah, the physical abuse by that time had stopped because social services had been involved. So by the time I was in high school, that was done, but there was definitely verbal abuse and just a lot of dysfunction. So that's when I knew that it's not right. So um, I took care of the kids for, I kind of went backwards and I'll pick back up it after I've got all my kids. Um, my, I would do some little side jobs, but you know, Ross did not really want his kids being raised by daycare. And we made the commitment that we'd stay me home and make the sacrifices, which I think in the end really benefited what the kids were able to do and how their lives are now. Um, and then when Dave went to kindergarten, I started my business. I got a little obsessed with painting some things around the house. <laughs> what do you think about that painting right there? That's cool. <laughs> um, so one day Ross comes home and he's like, please do not paint anything else in this house. And I'm like, on one of my mania things, I said, fine, I'm going to sell this stuff. When you say mania, what? can you explain that? Um, I have bipolar too. What is that? Um, you run on cycles of mania, which is very high. You're maybe don't sleep. You're just. Do they consider that hypermania? Or uh, hypo is less, less mania, mania, I, I guess. I get confused by the hypo and the hyper. Hypo, but hypos, I'm pretty sure is type two. So it's less, it's not as extreme as type, as type one. No, type one, you can be like really, really crazy. I yeah. was never really, really crazy, but right. you could do stuff like just twice as fast as you would normally do and you wouldn't stop and you couldn't sit down and you couldn't calm your brain down. Um, how they found out I actually had this. jumping ahead in my story here <laughs> Sorry <about that. laughs> actually let's go back so it makes sense as to how they figured it out okay. um so throughout 
our life together, me and Ross, there were times that I would get really depressed and I would say like, I feel like I want to kill myself. So I'd go to the therapist and we'd talk and they'd put me on antidepressants and I'd start to feel better and they'd pat me on the back and say, on your way. And then I would, they take me off and I, cause now I'm getting ready to cycle. I'm on my mania. I would run long mania spells mm -hmm. and then I'd crash. And thank God I never tried to take myself out, but I always knew that was wrong. I guess the Baptist belief system in my head yeah. <laughs> that suicide is wrong and I couldn't imagine leaving my kids. So I would always go get help and we'd go back through that cycle. So I was feeling not so good. And Dave, again, when I was putting together my thoughts, I couldn't believe how many times Dave showed up as a significant, something in his life created a significant change in my life. So Dave's a senior in high school and his plans to go away to tech school three hours away from home. I am a wreck because I have now lost my main job. My main job was be a mom. Right. No matter how good my business was, that was my focus. I was there. I was at every game, every hockey, every lacrosse, every field trip, every fundraiser. I was there. So Dave's finishing his senior year and I'm like, what am I going to do? So I went to the therapist and he says, you have empty nest syndrome. Well, we keep going through this and the insurance company apparently only allows you so many empty nest syndrome visits and you're supposed to be cured. What's an empty nest? When your kids all go away. When your kids go away and you're like getting depressed because you don't know what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Gotcha. So, um, he's still trying to figure out what is wrong with me. He's having to write reports to the insurance company so they'll keep paying the bill and I'm just not getting better. So one day I walk in there and I'm like, I can't stand this. My brain works like a freaking fireworks show. I said, I can be talking to you and I got two other thought streams going in my head. I said, I can have the conversation, but I'm not even connected. And it's still happening like on autopilot while I'm thinking about all these other things. And I said to him also that, you know, I'm trying to go to a job site and I forget what job site I'm going to, or I turn the wrong way at, because my thoughts are just like screaming in my head It just fireworks. So the next time I go in to see him and he says, I know what's wrong with you. Now this is 2012, 2013. I get diagnosed with bipolar two. And a little later then they figured out that this PTSD is playing into it. So I got put on medication. Um, I'm on a mood stabilizer, which we don't ever want me to miss it because it doesn't have a long half-life. Like anybody else that's out there <laughs> that's on Lamictal or Lamotrigine, don't miss your dose. <laughs> so, um, I, I carry an emergency dose in my wallet in case I leave the house without taking it. Yeah. So, um, thankfully Dave did not stay away three hours away for very long. So I felt better. <laughs> but, um, so let me just interrupt here for a second. The whole, this, everything that you're sharing with us, you're drinking through this whole thing as well. 
Oh my God, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's just getting worse. So the first time I decided to quit drinking, um, it wasn't until 2016. So, um, yeah, one other thing that happened in my world of diagnosis, I have celiac disease. Explain. (laughs) (laughs) You know, all those people that talk about they can't eat gluten and gluten-free and, well, I'm one of those that it is a medically necessary condition. Okay. So Ross lives a gluten-deprived life. (laughs) (laughs) Not not 100%. (laughs) So um, there's actually a reason for telling that in my drinking story, which is regular beer. I loved beer. And Night, that was Bose, warm natty bows. Yeah. No, I had moved up. You know? moved up. <laughs> we went to Michelob Ultra and then I discovered Yingling and loved my Yingling and I was getting a little fat. So then I had to go to the Yingling Lager Light. <laughs> then I got diagnosed with celiac disease and the beers all have gluten. Mm-hmm. So that switched me to wine and I would drink wine as fast as I drink beer. And the alcohol content in wine is just a tad higher than beer. So that kind of facilitated the spiral going a little faster downhill. Um, I would say the last five to six years was way worse than the rest of my life. And maybe part of that is coupled with, I didn't have kids at home anymore. I don't know. So um, the first time I tried to quit drinking, it was really in honor of my son, my middle son, deciding to sign up for the service. So he went in September 16th of 2016 for his basic training and then was moving straight away to his, um, what's the next one called? His MOS? Well, yeah, they go to that next training. You do your basic and then you go for your job. I forget what that's called. Yeah, so he was gonna be gone from September 6th to the middle of February. And I decided if he can't drink while he's in training, then I'm not gonna drink. So I asked the doctor to put me on some medication because I didn't think I could do it myself. So Anabuse is a medication that will make you throw up if you drink. Really? Yeah, so I chose to do that and there's also a medication called naltrexone, which is, I believe, an opioid blocker, but they've also found that it takes away alcohol cravings. Okay. And it did. It does, but I still drink. You're not supposed to drink on naltrexone. I use naltrexone quite a bit to try and slow me down, even when I was drinking. But I took the Anabuse when Joe left up until December 17th, because I wanted to be able to drink when he came home. I figured he'd be drinking at Christmas. And the Anabuse can stay reactive in your system for up to two weeks after your last dose. So I timed it all out. If I stop December 17th, then I'll be able to drink at Christmas. Well, Joe's still under orders. He can't drink anyway, (laughs) but it didn't stop me. So um, that was 103 days. And I went back to drinking and it probably got worse. When you say it got worse? Yes, probably got worse. Yeah. So I did most of my drinking at home because I, I, I still, like, 
I've write bids at night for jobs. Um, I don't, I wasn't doing a lot of fundraising then, but I'm always busy doing something and I would just drink as I was doing it. I cook and drink and I'm a very good cook. Although Ross says I don't cook as good as now that I'm not drinking. (laughs) I'm working on that one. So basically you're a functioning alcoholic. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. Yeah. Pay my bills, everything, you know, I never got in trouble with the law for anything. Never paid a bill late, like fantastic credit score, house, we got cars, motorcycles, you know, like everything, great kids. And, um, so that was never an issue. And I just, I'd go outside and garden during the day, whatever. Just, I always drew the line at a couple of things. I would not ride my motorcycle drinking and I would not paint. Like, <laughs> I'm a house painter by trade. Okay. And you just still, you just cannot cut that straight line <laughs> <laughs> once you drank. It doesn't work. I don't, well, I don't know. I was going to say, I don't know how homeowners do it, but. I know they drink and paint. I, I'm not happy with the That's why they call results. you in the end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll fix it. So um, I started to do what they often call the research years. I've learned this after the fact. So you start reading and Googling, am I an alcoholic? You know, I can't even tell you how many times I'd be sitting there late at night, you know, two bottles of wine in and just made a mixed drink. He's in bed and I'm still drinking and it's Tuesday night. Am I an alcoholic? I take the little quiz. Uh, all right, we'll try that another day. It said, yes, I don't think I have a problem. <laughs> I'd even tell my therapist, oh, it's not. I don't have a problem. I can control it. I'm pacing myself. Well, you can only pace yourself so long and it catches up. Your body just can't filter it. Yeah. So um, then my next thing was... I'm going to try harm reduction, which I I bought you guys this whole book if you wanted to look at it. Um, So harm reduction, the theory is you track your alcohol, you set limits. Well, I found out I was more obsessed (laughs) under harm reduction that, oh, tonight we're only going to do three. So I'd mark off, okay, now my chart. I drank my three drinks. I'm done. I'm like, oh, this chart's stupid. Never mind. (laughs) <laughs> you know you'd, I'd only buy one bottle of wine so I couldn't drink anything else and then I mean Ross drinks so then I'd go find his drink <laughs> so the harm reduction thing really didn't work at all um, you know the, the other thing right, I gotta go way back so at my age the alcohol companies they were looking to expand and hit another target market. And like I said, when I was a kid, the moms didn't drink. Like you almost never saw a mom that drank. Or if they did, it was like special occasion. So in all the marketing, these alcohol companies want to make money. And they're like, huh, let's tap this female market. Which they did. And it developed into what's called the mommy wine culture. Well, I was all on board about that. <laughs> Let's go trick-or-treating and take our cocktails while we're pulling the wagon. Um, that was me. That's, um, we can't get through this fundraising meeting without wine. And 
oh, let's fill my cup with uh, a beer and go walk on the sidelines of the game, you know? Oh, you're not supposed to have alcohol at the school? No big deal, nobody will know. Uh, and yeah, it was all about the whole mommy wine culture thing. And so I had read one book that talked all about this whole thing. Um, and I was like, wow, I'm not the only one. It was called Her Best Kept Secret by Gabrielle Glazer. And I probably read this, I'm gonna say two years ago. And it just blew my mind. It was a bestseller book. I don't even remember how I ran across the title. I'm like, wow, there's a whole lot of women that are doing this. And the women that they drink a whole bottle of wine before their husband even got in the door and they're making this great dinner and they're gonna have wine with their husband for dinner. He has no idea she already drank a whole bottle of wine and now they're going to split it that are just hiding all of this stuff. Yeah. And in the end, I would be doing the same thing. And in the morning, I'd be like, that's how many are empty. <laughs> so, um, but so I, I went back to drinking after my first attempt and I ended up about a year and a half later, I started having trouble in my one hip. It felt really funny. I thought I was getting arthritis. Took me quite a while and a whole lot of pain to find out I had a severely herniated disc in my back. Um, and during the course of that, I was on so many pain medicines. I just said to myself one day, I can't drink too. I just can't, it is too much for my body to filter. Mm -hmm. So I stopped again, that was January 1st of 2018. I mean, and, and you know, before that happened, I still didn't, before January 1st, I didn't know yet that I had this really bad disc. We had been trying therapies and the medications and all. And I would just drink because I was in so much pain. I'd stay up and drink because I couldn't sleep. My leg would go numb. I couldn't, I, I couldn't even hardly lay in the bed. And I would just drink until I was in total oblivion. And the crazy part is I could get back up and go to work. Like hangovers were barely an issue for me. I would tell Ross sometime, I'm like, I wish I would just get a horrific hangover. I might quit drinking. <laughs> it would be easier. And they say there's some genetics in that. I don't know. So um, I quit because I'm thinking I'm killing the inside of my body, filtering all this stuff. I ultimately have back surgery in March and I'm on my recovery and I finally get to drive and I'm out of the back brace and the first, well, maybe the second, I think I went to the grocery store first. Like the second place I drove to was the nearest vineyard. I said, I am so sick of not having any fun. And I started again. So that was, um, 2018. And the interesting thing I have found out is right around a hundred days, no matter what you're trying to stop mm -hmm. is one of the worst times. And I knew that going into this round where I finally said, I, I, I'm done. I gotta be done because I'm really going to mess up if I'm not. But knowing that the hundred days was such a terrible mark, I made it through this time. Um, the most frequent time to relapse is right around the hundred days. Really? 
It has something to do with your physiology, and I'm not even going to attempt to explain that. So it's a little over three months. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I started back up to drinking, and I don't know. I just got crazy. So we hang in a biker crowd, the Harley crowd. Yeah, Dave has a bike. I saw that. Yeah. I got a bike, too. Do you? It's almost just like Dave's. Um, and Ross has a bike. And then they got a couple more bikes. <laughs> it's bike week at Ocean City this weekend. Yeah. Well, not technically, but it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, oh, I also wanted to say, before I ever quit, I went to, and this was back in 2013, an outpatient counseling thing alcohol drug counselor over in West York. I mean, it wasn't intensive outpatient. I would go see this guy once a week. And I remember telling my kids, um, like, well, it was my daughter and Dave. My daughter works with me. Okay. Um, and we're at a job and it, it was commercial job. I had to run over the weekend and I hired Dave to help me then too. And it was lunch break and I was like really upset and said, I think I have a problem. I'm going to see this counselor. I didn't stick to it <laughs> and I didn't quit drinking. So <laughs> I learned some stuff, but I didn't do that. So were your um, kids aware of this whole time that you had a drinking problem or no? You know, I wish Dave was here to answer that. I don't know that when they were growing up in the house, whether they really thought it was a problem until maybe they were older. It was just such a part of the culture because Rosso drank too, but yeah. I would say he's what we call a normie. A normie. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> Normies can stop at one or two and they're fine. Um, I discovered I don't have an off switch. That's why I just can't. Um, so... No, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Talk about the... <laughs> well, look, I I don't think... Uh, I mean, the kids all knew we would drink. Okay. But one of the things that... One of the terms that we learned later on was the highly functioning alcoholic. And I know Mary touched on that yeah. briefly. But Mary was definitely that. I mean, it it wasn't... She didn't show that she had already had a bottle of wine in her. Like she had mentioned early... Uh, some of these housewives would drink a bottle of wine before the husband came home. Well, if Mary did that, you wouldn't know it. Right. Um, so there's only a few times, again, when the, when the kids got older, and, and like Mary said, she likes to cook, that um, we'd be sitting around the table ready to eat. And, you know, Mary liked to drink her wine while cooking. But this was all a stress reliever thing. Okay. It was self-medicating to relieve stress um, that we would all kind of recognize, oh, mom's had a few too many. <laughs> 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 and, of course, you know, we didn't, sometimes we just kind of poked at her and made fun of her a little bit. But uh, it, Mary was really, really good at hiding what was really going on. So with the help of alcohol. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, but I think the alcohol, even, you know, she wasn't a mean drunk, 
she didn't get angry yeah you know so it the, it's just surprising after even with living with her for you know 27 almost 30 years that you know you don't recognize these things because i guess they happen gradually but you know it, i don't think the kids were super aware of everything i don't know drinking was just part of our culture all our friends drank even but you know you're attracted to other people that do the same oh, thing and of course yeah. we found out dave was drinking too <laughs> <laughs> yes you but, guys listen to those podcasts well, <laughs> yeah well so were joe and kayla we kind of knew he was getting into stuff because a uh, funny story on the side i mean we had a, a we rented a garage down the street and there was like a case of this nasty old dusty beer i mean it was probably there for i don't know 20 years had to be the rottenest stuff but sure enough dave and one of his buddies went down there and picked it up and drank it and they drank it oh my. oh yeah so you're talking about in the past i know how much more in my past should I talk about? <laughs> I guess I was starting to talk about like the culture we were hanging out in with um, all the Harley people. We, we started to ride, um, I think Joe, our middle son, is the one that really triggered all of this. I wouldn't let Ross get a motorcycle while I was raising kids. I'm like, what am I going to do with these four kids when you get killed on a bike? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I can't do this. So Joe got a motorcycle second year of college and then ross got one and i got tired of looking at the back of the helmet so i got <laughs> my license and um you know people like to ride together so we got into this group and it still kind of blows my mind that okay you ride your motorcycle and you go to the bar and then you ride some more after you had a drink or two and you go to the next bar and you get another drink or two and you ride again and I can't keep my bike upright or <laughs> drink and ride. So it was one place I used to tell myself all the time, just put me on that motorcycle. Put me on that motorcycle and I won't drink. I can't drink. Yeah. Like, that's all I wanted to do was get on that bike so I wouldn't drink. I knew that I couldn't. Um, but then when we're hanging with these people at, who knows, whatever kind of party at night, I would just get totally out of control because it was – that's all they wanted to do was just drink to oblivion. So I, that really, between that and the celiac disease that I couldn't drink beer anymore, so I was always drinking something with a higher alcohol content, really contributed to the end spiral down and, and my back issues, fighting that pain. It's amazing that I didn't get hooked on the pills. Um, even after surgery, yeah. I think I still have pills left in the house. Yeah, I would say the, the, the back pain was, uh, again, one of the, what probably really took you over the edge because you were self-medicating for the pain. I mean, it was, I mean, when she went into the doctor's office for the day of the surgery, she's laying on the floor in the, in the waiting room. Like uh, and she couldn't even walk to get into the to the operating table, 
So, and, and the doctor said it was definitely one of the biggest herniated discs he's ever removed. So, um, the self-medicating along with, you know, all the other pressures in life, um, raising kids, having the kids grow up, move on, um, you know, owning your own business, uh, owning your own business that requires your physical body that is now broken. Yeah. Yeah, The downturn (laughs) in the economy, you know, going from, uh, multiple crews to one person, you know, it's just, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's the way life is and, and people use different things to cope with it. Yep. Mary's was, uh, alcohol. Yep. And, but again, one of the, there's, there's so many key words that we, um, have learned and, and self-medicating again is another one of those things that you do, but you don't know that there's a really a term for it. And, um, you know, that's the truth. I mean, when you, when you're in a, that kind of pain, uh, she just wanted to make it go away. Yeah. And I couldn't make it go away. All I did was make it to take the edge off. But the only way I really made it go away is if I was in a blackout and didn't remember. It. <laughs> but, um, so let me get back to the research years for a minute. Um, you know, I read that one book and it stuck in my mind about all these mommy wine culture people that were like me. And it just kept kind of churning around there. But I, I've been in therapy with my bipolar ever since Dave was in high school. So we're talking 2012, going on eight years now. I was really sad when the guy that diagnosed me um, retired. I was like, I'm never going to make it with another therapist. You saved my life. Because I I can guarantee if that guy did not figure out that I had bipolar Mm 2 and I went down again, I'd be under the dirt. There's no way I'd have come out of it a fourth time. So... um, yeah, I made the guy cry. His our last appointment when he retired, and I told him that. And he says, you know, most therapists never hear anything positive yeah. out of their patients. But um, so I switched to my new therapist. She had a little different um, thinking about things, and we're moving on. She does a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy, um, different approach. It's been really good because it actually it's almost like going through a curriculum sort of. Yeah to work on your inner demons and things that are just messed up in your head. Um, so she knew I had an issue with drinking and she had done her internship ironically at a treatment facility, Okay. you know, when she was working on getting her doctorate, um, for three, she was there three years. So she had a lot of working knowledge, not just book knowledge about addiction. And one day she says to me, because I'm always saying, oh, it doesn't affect me. I got it under control. (laughs) She says, I think you need to pay attention. I think it really is affecting your life. And I started to pay attention. Yeah. And it was like, you know, I'm not a dumb woman. So (laughs) (laughs) I just don't always make the right decisions. And so there were some things that had happened um, and I knew I was drinking more and more and I got to the point that I had to do blackout sleuthing and 
that was getting a little scary. I'm like, I'm 50 some years old and I got to get up and figure out what I did the night before. And, and, um, I couldn't find my cell phone one morning, but I can hear it. It's making this beeping noise. I'm like, where is this dang thing? I'm looking under the covers. I look down in the laundry room. I'm in my office, the bathroom, under cushions. I'm like, Russ, I cannot find my phone. But you heard it. Yeah. I open up the dishwasher. (laughs) I had put my daggone cell phone in the dishwasher. (laughs) I have plates that look, they're like little orange leaves. My phone has an orange cover on it. Yeah. Yeah. And sat it right in the top rack of the dishwasher. I'm like, ooh, wait, my therapist might be right. (laughs) And then one of the other things that um, happened is Ross said to me, I I like to bake. I was going to bring you a cake. Oh, my gosh, no. And Dave (laughs) says, don't bring her a cake. I said, but she likes cake. (laughs) I followed Dave's directions not to bring. Plus, it would have been gluten-free. I don't know. (laughs) He might not have liked it. But um, so I get up one morning, and this was a night that I I was doing pretty good that night. And Ross says to me, did you eat that big piece of cake after I went to bed? And I'm like, shit. How? Oops. You're okay. <laughs> I'm like, oh, how am I going to get out of this one? How am I going to get out? And no clue that I ate that cake. And I'm shaking my head. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I look at that cake, and it's cut all crooked. And I'm like, oh, I think my therapist is right. <laughs> and then um, we're at a biker party. And... I fall flat on my face. Don't remember how I fell. Don't remember who I was talking to before I fell. I woke up after I fell. Um, chipped a tooth. Well, Like, which I know, sometimes I think this goes full circle. I chipped a tooth drinking in high school. Never told my parents that. So um, both of my top front teeth have little tiny chips in them. And I'm like, dang, you are not 20. Like, you should not be doing this kind of stuff. And then the really biggie, when I talk about Dave, significant things in his life tied to my life. So, you know, Dave was born. I left the corporate world. Dave goes to kindergarten. I start my business. Dave goes, gets his driver's license. I bought my Camaro, like dream car. Like, that's so cool. Trading in that suburban. <laughs> Mama's got a hot car now. <laughs> and um, Dave gets married, driving home, freaking wreck my Camaro. Wow. Hit a deer. And there's only one other person I told this to before. So we're also here this for the first time. So I, I did not think I was going to be driving home from the wedding. And. I'm going down the road and I'm like, that double line is double. Damn it. Okay, come on. Whirl the window down. Wake yourself up. The double line's double. Well, deer ran out in front of me. Now, whether you could say the deer was drinking or not, I never saw the deer until it was like laying on my car. So uh, I'm going to say my reaction time was definitely affected. Um, but I should have never been driving that night. Never. Yeah. 
and I don't have my Camaro anymore. <laughs> that was a really, really sad day. Um, and then trace it to Dave one more time. This, the last time as these things are piling up and I'm noticing them all happening, Dave and Bree come and tell us they're pregnant. And I'm like, Mary, you are so bad. These kids should never trust you with this child. And I'm like, if I don't clean my act up, I am never going to be able to spend time with this grandkid myself. At the same time, I'm starting to notice that Ross is getting really aggravated with me. And, and he's a really tolerant man. You know, he's been on this bipolar roller coaster, learned to not eat gluten. <laughs> 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 All the other stuff, the PTSD of coming home and I'm freaking out. But, um, so I'm like, I, I can see that my marriage is going to go out the door too. And I was like, all right. And my therapist says again, I really don't want to see you hit that bottom. I don't want to see you get in that really bad place. Actually, I don't know if she said bottom. She said, I can see you're headed in a bad place. And I don't know, this just in my mind here, I'm thinking is almost the same thing happened to Dave. People told him. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember that. And um, I was like, yeah, yeah, I have got to change something. So... I listened <laughs> and um, I put together a plan. This is probably the end of October and I'm like, um, I can't get through the holidays without drinking. I don't know how I'd get through all that cooking without drinking and all that entertaining. And so I decided the first Monday of January, January 6th, that was going to be my day. And I read and I researched, made these plans, and I'm going to get into some of the tools I use because one of the main reasons I wanted to come here was to hopefully share some tools that will help some other people. But um, So I had some rough days, nights, (laughs) leading up to that because I'm like, oh, my God, I'm breaking up with my best friend. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to handle life because I was an every single day drinker. And we're talking two bottles of wine and a mixed drink and like some people, two glasses of wine and they're out. But that's it's like (laughs) one, you know, where my tolerance got to. And in the end, when I was blacking out just about every single night, I learned later that that was actually my liver starting to shut down because the blackouts would happen faster and faster like you know less quantities of alcohol I was realizing I was blacking out not that I'd stopped drinking but I was like oh I don't remember anything after three glasses of wine like wow why is this happening to me and you know I quit drinking later found that information but um so I will tell you right out of the gate, staying sober takes a hell of a lot of work. A, a lot, lot of work. Commitment. <laughs> yeah. Consistency. Um, it's an everyday choice. Yep. And I mean, I guess like everybody in the world, you're choosing what you're going to do every day, but you have to be focused on it every day. You, you are 
whatever you feed yourself, mm-hmm. whether it's thoughts, meals, activities, what you're listening to. So every single day I'm pulling from this toolbox that I've created. Um, yeah. I had to type stuff up. Anybody that knows me that's listening to this will know that I'm like the queen of organization, she has writing. Books and typed up things, handwritten. I got my research. <laughs> that's the noise you're hearing, shuffling papers in the background. Um, the very first tool, I think. I see chocolate. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was a lot of chocolate in my life. Cake. Um, no, fruit slice candies. Yeah, I had coffee one, and jelly beans and coffee. <laughs> I had to have a fruit slice on my way here. I was getting a little nervous. So. <laughs> um, actually, I snuck it before I left the house. It wasn't on the way here. I did. So you know, once you're in your head, you've got. I got a problem, or I think I got a problem. You got to tell somebody. Tell at least one person. If you can start to tell somebody else, it's even better. Who'd you tell? Well, my best friend here—he was the first one. I mean, he was witnessing, and he already knew what was going on. But um, so, and then I told one of my really good friends that I knew didn't drink. Um, it's funny. The day I quit, I was so upset, and I felt sick. Um. And my client, I'm going to try not to cry. We got tissues here just in case. I'll be right with you now here. Um, The client I was supposed to work for that day canceled. And I knew I wanted to talk to this one lady. She's my age. Our kids all grew up together, lives in the neighborhood. And I messaged her and I said, what are you doing today? She was working, but where she works, there's a cafeteria. So I was like, can I meet you for lunch? And I went and told her what was going on. And that was a start. So she was like the second or third person. Did she already know? She knew I had trouble. I mean, over the years, we had talked about it. And she's like, anytime. And her daughter had right about that time, I think, gotten... Her one-year chip from AA or six-month chip or something. I can't remember. Her daughter had had a lot of struggles. But as long as I've known her, she had never drank herself. Um, and I knew that you know, she's a very encouraging, supportive person. So I talked to her. And the first week I was just I was so... Th- sick the first four days so sick. I was like I, I can't even believe I'm having this much trouble thinking that oh you know I'm not that affected by it and here I am physically sick and then my daughter put up with me at work those couple of days and it was miserable but I got through that but one of the tools I made on a more positive note Knowing that I was quitting and putting together this plan, I made what I call the sobriety survival kit. And I think this is really helpful for anybody at any stage to offset triggers. So I had like a huge pasta bowl sitting in my kitchen counter 
and I filled it with chocolates and candies and nuts and puzzles. You can get puzzles at the Dollar Tree for a dollar. I had various tea bags. I had one of those dollar store coloring books in there, some markers, some gourmet hot chocolates. I did have non-alcoholic beer and non-alcoholic wine. There is some controversy as to whether or not that's good or bad. Mm -hmm. It's kind of an individual choice, but I figured if I really wanted a beer, I'm a whole lot better off to drink one of them than go to the beer store and buy the real thing. Did you ever drink one? Mm -hmm. Did it help you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's got me through a few non-alcoholic wine too. Although there's no true non-alcoholic wines. There's zero point what is it? 0.5%. But apparently there's that much alcohol in a banana. What? Yeah. <laughs> so the wrong. alcohol sugars in the banana oh, okay. are the same. So um, I know that those wines don't taste as good as the other ones. And the um, with my celiac disease, I really shouldn't be drinking the non-alcoholic beers. There are, most of those are the, half a percent alcohol too but there are some from europe that are true zeros the one i've found around here are heineken zero zero non-alcoholic so that one truly has no alcohol the european people are way ahead of the game on this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff they've got all kinds of cocktails and distilled spirits from herbs and it's just amazing the, the stuff that they have over there and society is so much more accepting of you can go to dinner or a nice restaurant and ask for a non-alcoholic cocktail over there yeah. and they actually have menus for those types of things here it's like can i have a tonic water and a lime mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know>? yeah <laughs> that's about it um then you know, i got off track so it, if you want to use the survi- survival kit you can really put anything in there that interests you um, so I think that's good for people. Um, I made these things called the diversions cards. So I brought them here. I, I wish y'all could see them. <laughs> so it, it has little things in there that I printed off the computer and then I put them on a flip ring. Like we can I, actually take a picture of that before yeah, you leave can. and we'll put it on the page okay. for people that want to reference back to it. It's coming apart. That's not good. So one was to wash my car. Another one is just to breathe, like, you know, yoga breathing or whatever. Oh, the next page is actually to go do some yoga. Um, got a little funny thing with read a book, um, just some reminders. Like it's a dangerous, hazardous chemical. So I have like that job site sign in there. We have nice gardens. So I have my thing about go out and garden um sometimes it's i have the stamp in here for delay like if i'm getting stressed out because i've got all this stuff to do i'm like a way busy person i'm actually reading a book called breaking up with busy to try and figure out how to get some stuff off my plate (laughs) like if i don't have to do it right that minute and i'm being triggered to drink delay it like most things in life can be delayed mm-hmm. you know my kids used to tell me all the time when they were little mom there's no painting emergencies and it's really <laughs> true there's not so i mean i have a little funny cartoon of brushing your teeth it's amazing 
how much brushing your teeth can distract you from doing something. Um, get a cup of coffee. So all of these things would also sit in my little kit and I would use them to help me not pick up a drink. So I did a lot of journaling, especially in my early days where every day I would sit and write something about how I was feeling, what was going on, how I was coping with things and getting it out of your head and on a piece of paper helps a lot. Does it? Yeah. Well, also with my bipolar that sometimes I, I have to get the stuff out of my head so the next stuff can process. Right. Um, and therapy, I've talked about that therapy and working on the actual root causes. So you can learn to correct your behaviors and actions, learn some coping skills. Um, and if like you're in a position that you can't afford therapy or, um, what do I want to say? Don't have it through insurance or whatever. There is actually a podcast called the sober therapist. Okay. It's free. It, you'll gain something out of that, but that's a resource that I think somebody who doesn't have the ability to pay for therapy, if they listen to that lady, she's got a lot of good stuff on there. Um, and this, I felt so silly when I did, but we have the calendar, old paper calendar hanging in the kitchen, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm 54. We still have them. <laughs> I don't know what you young people do that all look at your phones, but maybe you can do this in the computer world. So I had little star stickers and every morning when I got up, if I stayed sober the day before, I put a little sticker on that calendar. I was like, I did it. I did That's it. Cool. Um, and there's been times that I feel like all I'm doing is the next five minutes, not the day. That, that's gotten easier, but there's definitely that. So really simple tool, take a different route home. Think about how many times you were going home from your job and oh, let's stop at the beer store. Just drive a different way home so you don't go by there. You gotta go to the grocery store, like all the grocery stores now sell beer and wine. Yep. Go to one that doesn't. I thought about that the other day when I was pumping gas about people that struggle and now they can't even go get gas without looking at the beer signs yep. out by the gas station pumps and even when you put your card in there's an advertisement there for alcohol yep i know can't yeah so um two places if you're kind of like oh well where can i go believe it or not the dollar general you can actually get a lot of your groceries there and they don't sell beer or wine. And if you go to a larger store, they have, you know, bigger they are, the better selection. And the other one is Aldi. Aldi doesn't sell any. So um, the next thing, and I have to thank Ross for this, is podcasts. I'm not the most technological person, but early on, He's laying in bed one night and he's looking at his phone and he's actually trying to find a podcast for him to listen to, to help him deal with me. <laughs> Did you find it? Uh, no. no. <laughs> I mean, I was, yeah, I was trying to look for something that was related to a spouse or a husband to deal with, you know, alcoholism or I knew this journey with her quitting wasn't going to be easy. So I was looking for help too. Right. 
Uh, no, I don't think there was anything specifically for the spouse or the partner or whatever. You can create your own podcast. Yeah. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Can you use your setup? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And maybe that's something we can do sometime, like have the other, the partner come and talk. Yeah. I I think it's, um, I have been sitting here being very quiet, but this is Mary's story, Mm -hmm. but you're right. The, the, the partners or the spouses or the rest of the family, as I'm sure you guys know, have a whole story on their own and how it affects their lives. So. So you'll be back, Dave. Oh. Yeah. Dave's dad's now gonna come back, Ross. <laughs> We're putting you on the wall over there. That, <laughs> your name is will that be your up. calendar. That's who we have to contact. There you go. So the podcast he found, interestingly enough, was targeted to um, highly functioning alcoholics, and it was called Recovery Happy Hour. So I binge listened to that every episode nonstop. Um, I do spend a lot of time alone on my job and um, even at home because there's no kids there anymore. And Ross works a lot. I think I work a lot. He really works a lot. Um, So yeah, he worked this morning. (laughs) Then the next, it kind of snowballs. Once you find out about one of these things, you start to find about more Mm -hmm. so the next one i listened to was recovery elevator and i do want to give a little slant out there i am female so a lot of this is targeted more on the female slant um recovery elevator is one that the guys would do really good with as well it it is hosted by a guy at least early on a woman has taken it over but that podcast has been out there for a couple of years they release once a week There's a lot of episodes and I learned a lot from that guy and all the people that he interviews. Then some of the other ones that I've listened to the bubble hour, a sober girl's guide, silencing of stigma, Hmm. (laughs) Uh, the sober therapist, which I mentioned a minute ago, if, if you don't have access to paid therapy, that that's a, really good resource Janie Lee Grace the alcohol free life um, she has some really good stuff and I think she's one of the ones over in Europe too it's just so much so much less stigma on the other side of the big pond than there is here from the feedback and reading I've done um, addiction unlimited is good doing it sober club soda unruffled is a podcast about um, well, it's alcoholic, generally women that are really creative. The two women that host this podcast are extremely creative. They're, they make their living with their artwork. So, And this one I love. It, can I say that word? Yes. yes. Yeah, okay. The, the lady that does this, she is a ball of fire. Her podcast is called Her Best Fucking Life. So her deal when she quit drinking is she was going to create the best fucking life she could and she wants to share how she did it with everybody else. That's cool. So, and then there's another one called edit, edit, editing our drinking in our lives. So the other thing that I like books, I've always liked books and they call it quit lit. The quit literature 
that's out there is amazing. The amount of memoirs and information. So uh, one of the first books that I got a hold of, and I don't, well, other than the one I read about, so th this is the second book. <laughs> when I'm in my research stage, right before I quit, I, I ran across this book called Sober Diaries, How One Woman Stopped Drinking and Started Living. And I'm like, oh, the title caught me right away. Mm -hmm. It probably popped up on my Amazon screen after I'm like, you know, they're all connected. So um, um, searching, am I an alcoholic? And I guess Amazon found out. Now they're going to throw these. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. It may not work that way. But I was reading this book, and I, I think I actually had it on Audible. I think, I, yeah, I listened to this one. You don't have to physically read in order to take advantage of books. Yeah, I know my brother. He listens to them all the time at work. Yeah, Audible is fantastic. So, um, and so is Kindle. And Kindle, you don't have to have the device. You can get the Kindle right on your phone or your computer. They yeah. have the apps for it. But anyway, back to the Sober Diaries book. Um, I start reading this and I'm like, uh, this is my life. It was like looking in a mirror. I was just stunned about everything. So this book goes through her whole first life, mm -hmm. living sober as a mother. Now her children were younger than mine, but it really didn't matter. It was the same story. And I was like, there's hope. <laughs> There's actually hope that you can live. So um, I knew when I was quitting, I had to have something to look forward to. So I made myself a rewards list. At the end of my drinking, I had put on so much weight, I could not fit into a single pair of jeans that I owned. And it happened really fast because you're drinking then I'm, you know, hit the blackout and got to eat the chocolate cake. <laughs> you don't remember. So maybe I ate two pieces. I don't know. Um, so my first thing was, oh my God, if I can make it through this week, this week, this first week, I'm go buy a pair of jeans. And I did. And it was so motivating, these little rewards that I would give myself to go through, you know, and some of them have been stupid stuff, like, you know, some little kitchen gadget that costs $3, but I just hadn't bought it. So I decided, <laughs> all right, I'm going to go get this now. Um, and it doesn't have to be things that you spend money for. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it could be, I'm going to go take a hike at XYZ Park yeah. that you just haven't done and really want to. So right. um, then since I had that great Puritan work ethic and were, it's ingrained in my brain, they no, you're not supposed to have fun until all your chores are done. I made a list of fun activities so that it, I could not have to think up what was fun. Probably nobody else in the world has to do this. I already know what fun is. <laughs> and I, it, things that I could do that had pleasure and did not have any drinking component to them. So that was a resource. And technologically, I found a sobriety counter app, which is on my phone. Okay. 
And besides counting like the days, it also tracks things like how much money you've saved by not drinking. There's a little, like if you're triggered, you can go into the trigger thing and it has little activities for you to do to fight the trigger. Apparently triggers only last 30 seconds to three minutes. So if you can last through that time period, you're yeah. going to come out the other end and be fine. But the, the um, sobriety counter app has been really good. And this activity in my tools, the next one I, I did early on and it's really helped when I would start to think about this day's been crap. I would really like to have a drink and I don't always physically go back and read it, but I wrote a list called all the reasons I quit drinking and writing that has solidified and gave permanency to my decision. So, you know, not only the act of having to write it, I can also go back and look at that list and then, um, tying back to Ross, it was Valentine's day. And I said that because I was so good at hiding things all these years, I put the list on his desk and I said, one of the best gifts I think I can give you is to look inside my brain. And I gave him the list and that, it was pretty raw to yeah. open up to all that stuff. So, um, I think, that, you know, anybody that's an ex user or getting ready to stop or whatever, um, it can be a pretty significant tool. So, um, chocolate, <laughs> chocolate and coffee, rinse and repeat. <laughs> <laughs> I know sugar is not good for you. Um, and there's something about the dopamine hit in your body that people mm -hmm. that stop drinking in particular go to sugar. I cannot tackle my sugar problem right now. <laughs> we will do one thing at a time. <laughs> I'm thinking a year into this, then I'll try to give up the fruit slices and the jelly beans. And the, those are really the, the worst ones. Um, and then there are a bunch of meetings. I didn't get into some of these options, but um, I, I'll jump over to that in a minute. I have a list on my bulletin board of the recurring meetings that happen online from various sources. So like I said, I'm a busy person. My schedule is not always the same, but then I can look at those and pop them into my schedule mm -hmm. and hopefully get there. Um, routine sleep is absolutely crucial and I, this probably goes more with the mental illness than anything else. One of the biggest things in controlling bipolar sanity, go to the bed the same time, get up the same time. And it does not matter if it is Saturday night or Wednesday night. Routine. Routine sleep is like one of the keys to controlling bipolar. Um, I do use yoga in and out. I'm not real committed to that. Um, 
my husband has been probably absolutely the biggest tool followed by my therapist. <laughs> I'm not a tool in my Really? <laughs> well, wait a minute. That didn't sound No, right. I'm sorry. No, wait, I'm talking about my sobriety tools. So. Um, sorry, I, I had to break it up. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, he's been there through everything. So he, he's, um, he can see it. He can sometimes, he views things differently than I do and it can help me change my perspective if I can open up to that. It's been interesting having stopped using how much better the conversation gets because I'm not hiding that I just drank a whole bottle of wine so I can't really talk to you right now. (laughs) (laughs) Even if something's bothering me. The, the wine was the catalyst to talk, and you can't talk to a drunk person. No. You, you can't have a, a reasonable conversation or a meaningful discussion with if, if one or both of you have been drinking. Yeah. That's not a good idea. <laughs> um, I've definitely relied on some of my friends, not friends that we're using. I think if everybody looks in their life, I mean, we know a lot of people. Um, everybody knows a lot of people. Somewhere in your circle, there's people that don't use. Align yourself with them. Mm-hmm. And your friends are going to change. You just can't go hang out with your best drinking buddy and hope that you are going to stay clean. It's yep. just not going to happen. Um, so a little bit lighter tool that I use, um, Sunday morning check-ins, recovery elevator. I follow them on Instagram and Facebook as well. I get so excited on Sunday mornings. Like it's roll call time. (laughs) It's kind of like weight watchers when you have to go get on the scale. Yeah. I can't wait to that moment. So like I can say I'm here and I can put in, I'm at day whatever. And I mean, it is sad when you see people that, oh, I'm starting over on day two. And it's like, oh, your heart kind of breaks for them. But when I think about it, I'm on my third try. So um, I, yeah, absolutely got to change what you drink. But besides coffee, um, I have a small love affair with San Pellegrino sparkling mineral water. Never in my life would I say that or have expected that I would be turning to mineral water as one of my favorite drinks. <laughs> Fever Tree tonic water and the Fever Tree brand is better than anybody else's. If you want to dress it up a little bit, you can put the lime in it, grapefruit, orange, um, all kinds of seltzer, flavored seltzer waters. Thankfully, they came out on like right in line with me, <laughs> deciding to get sober. <laughs> and Canada Dry came out with this killer ginger ale. It's called Bold Ginger Ale. Love it. And there are some um, zero-proof spirits out there made from herbs and things like one company is called seed lip and one is called ritual i think um let me come back to that in a second but um finish my tools and then another thing popped in my head i went to art and i kind of on my facebook page i 
I posted not too long ago about trading alcohol for art. Even though I've done artistic painting in my past, I've always been like a copy artist. Mm -hmm. It was a stencil that I used or somebody else's design on an overhead projector. I couldn't physically draw anything. So I, I wanted to draw and I found some sources to do that. And I think about people saying they're bored when they get sober. I remember, um, Dom saying mm-hmm. boredom is like his biggest trigger. I, I have a hard time understanding being bored yeah. with my lifestyle, but pick up a napkin and a piece of pencil, you know, it's a piece of junk mail and draw yeah. doodle, whatever. Um, which brings me to Instagram. One of my favorite to follow, there's a guy called T doodler, all kinds of inspirational things. You'll never see his face. He draws these little pictures and diagrams and he's sober. I don't know how long he's been sober. I I went to Instagram to stay off of Facebook so much with my sobriety for fear of people knowing. Okay. And I didn't have an Instagram account till I did get sober and I'd hear these people on the podcasts talking about their Instagram accounts and then I just find people, you know, I went on there first to follow the recovery happy hour and it just went from there. So the tea doodler guy, there's a sober girl society, which is in Europe, but of course you can connect with them here. And there's one lady that I just freaking love on Instagram. Her, um, what do they call it? Handle title? What are they? Uh, I don't know. I'm not too familiar with it. Um, Martha recovering out loud. This chick, She's out there. She is just energetic and this is my life and I'm living it sober and all that kind of stuff. But if you just go on there and you start to follow, you'll keep finding more and more people in the support that's there and encouragement. Facebook has a lot of um, private groups. She Recovers is one that I belong to, and a couple of times when I've struggled, I've gone on there and posted, and in minutes, there's other women coming back with oh, helpful comments. Very it, supportive groups. Yeah. Um, so I follow some sketching groups, and um, I got on that group. The other lady was on your podcast, The End and the addiction oh, and the yeah, addictions taking. got onto hers everyday matters is a art group but the stuff's out there so um i haven't really talked about aa i don't align myself with aa but i found a very similar group called smart recovery it's a four-point program so people that struggle with not liking aa for whatever reason um check into the smart recovery stands for self-management something wait i got it here i think maybe i don't i have their workbook in front of me for those that can't see it but it's self-management something recovery tools or something like that um and they have tons of stuff, workbooks, their four-point program, there's um, interactive meetings, all different topics. I, I've really liked everything I've learned from them. The other group that I found was called She Recovers. 
they have Facebook presence as well as a presence in the rooms. In the rooms, and I think Michelle talked about that too, mm-hmm. um, is a website that has all kinds of meetings for all different things. Yeah, I think she did. Mm-hmm. Whether it's drugs, sex, food, trauma, anything. They've got meetings for everything from all different organizations. They've got AA, NA, um, except the Smart Recovery. They are in their own website. <laughs> but um, the She Recovers is in there. There's a group called Women Warriors. There's actually a whole yoga thing. There's, e- there's even a um, meeting in there for nurses, nurses that are dealing with addiction, which I thought was interesting. Um, there are, are online, I just found out about this, online happy hours, sober happy hours, so you can get on like the Zoom and have a happy hour. Mm-hmm. Um, other tools out there that I didn't, um, I didn't really use, but I know they're out there. Crazy Walking's one of them. Crazy part is when I was drinking, I would go out and walk like five miles a day. And I haven't been doing that. Any, any exercise... A habit tracker, if you don't know what that is, you can Google it. But habit tracker can really help you focus on every day doing things positive in your life. Um, a vision board, you can create them to look at how do I want my life to be. Yep. It's also an interactive thing, whether you're drawing it, cutting out pictures, or, or whatever. It can really be a, a good hands-on and visual to help you stay on the right path and there are workshops online some of them cost and sometimes you can find free ones that don't and even there's retreats all that so i gave these guys a whole list of books i read i'm not reading all those off we can make a copy of the books (laughs) and her um um if you were out to pick one of these which one would you pick that would help you the most on the books or the tools or the the tools her husband yeah (laughs) Um, Thank you. Number one, two. <laughs> he comes with a lifetime warranty. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even know that you can pick one because every day is a little different and every day you need something. I mean, the, the tool I didn't list here has probably got to be myself. Like the one like tool, it, it's got to be coming from me. Yep. And then whatever I decide to be my, I'll call it recipe to get through the day, I'm pulling from this I like that. list. So That's a good answer. Um, I wanted to talk about one thing that a lot of people have hangups about when they want to quit is the fear of missing out called FOMO, <laughs> F-O-M-O, right? FOMO? Yeah. And I guess it falls a little into the stigma part as well. You are afraid. What's going to happen when I go to that wedding and I don't drink and I don't do the champagne toast? And, huh, they're going to have a crab feast. Well, crabs and beer go together. Shoot, now what am I going to do? And um, there's a keg at that party darn now what do I do (laughs) you know I'm not gonna have any fun or I can't go to that wine festival anymore and you're like I'm gonna miss out on all these things and then 
even to a more personal level, it was a big part of our, Ross and I, relationship to, you know, a day like today, we'd say, oh, let's, let's quit at three o'clock and head to the vineyard with our cheese and crackers or, you know, the vineyard by the river's got live music tonight. Let's go there. And now it's like, what do you replace that with? So, I mean, that's, I'm still trying to figure that one out. (laughs) I I have figured out more of the larger events that you can just go. And half the time people don't care. And as long as you have a drink in your hand, they're not going to say, oh, let me, can I get you a glass of wine? Do you want to be like, it doesn't matter. You can have a cup of water and they, they don't even think about it. Um, and I know that like one of the other things when you talk about the, like the ritual of having a drink and when Ross and I would have something fantastic happen in our lives, whatever, like I landed a huge job or (laughs) something, um, we would keep a bottle of Kahlua in the freezer and we'd come home and have a little shot of the Kahlua. And one of the reasons I had to find a substitute, I actually went to one of these zero proof there's one called ritual and i got one of those like i I need to have something that was such a big part of our life but it's still the fear of missing out um can really be a hang-up for people when they stop and unfortunately you are going to change friends like i in a group that we're in i can remember one of the guys i was talking to and he said I'm telling him that I'm getting ready to quit. And he's like, and I talked to him specifically thinking he'll be supportive because he doesn't usually drink that much or he doesn't drink at all in this biker group of drinkers. And he says to me, why do you want to do that to yourself? Why do you want to be that hard on yourself? And I'm like, what? Wait. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, to me that somehow ties into the, stigma absolutely um so since your podcast is about stigma i'll touch on some of that i almost think that alcohol stigma is worse than the mental illness stigma okay um the alcohol is legal our whole society is like oh you should be able to handle this like it's all incorporated in all of these parties and pushed by all the advertisers and, you know, every event you go to just about, there's some kind of alcohol there. Um, so if you say, Oh, I don't drink people kind of cock their head a little funny. (laughs) You know? Um, and that's very true because I don't, drink not because i had a problem and don't drink i just don't drink right um it's very rare that i do and when i'm with people that are having fun drinking they always say oh you ought to just have one because you'll have more fun and i'm having fun like i'm having fun we went to the bar a long long time ago and a uh one of my co-workers husband walked in and I was laughing, and he pointed at me and said, she's drunker than everybody. Oh, boy. And I just <laughs> laughed, and I said, you know what? I'm laughing harder than all these people, and I haven't had a drink because I'm laughing at them. Yeah. Like, I'm having a fun time without the drink. 
And so it's true. Like, but they make you feel like you can't have fun unless you have that drink in your hand or, oh, you're just a deadbeat. Like, you don't yeah. know how to have fun. Something's wrong with I'm you. Not, yeah, like, that's not normal that you don't want to get drunk with us here tonight. So that is stigma. Yeah. And I can imagine because I don't drink because I don't want to drink. So now you have someone in your situation who doesn't drink because they're an alcoholic in recovery and they're saying that to you. It's a lot different. It's a lot harder for you to be that person to say, I don't want that and have to explain yourself. Well, no is enough. I mean, in reality, you don't have to explain yourself Mm -hmm. is one of the things I've learned. It's kind of like, Okay, you're invited to that party on Saturday night, but you know what? If you really think it's going to put you in too triggering of a situation, don't go. Just don't go because the people won't even miss that you're there. It's just in reality, they won't. There might be one person that goes, oh, well, where's where's Sally Jane? We didn't see her. Oh, I don't know. Okay. (laughs) It's gone. It doesn't matter. It's more important that you stay on that sober path than Mm -hmm. uh, go to the party where everybody's drinking. So, um, when I think about, again, the comparison of dealing with alcohol abuse and the mental illness and being self-employed, there's a lot to self-employment when you're the top dog and you're the one dealing with the clients and you're selling yourself all the time. I, in my life, in a conversation with any of my clients, historically have had more of a fear of my clients finding out that I had an issue with alcohol than I've ever had with them finding out I had mental illness. Okay. I feel like that, I, I don't know. That's just the way I feel about it. Maybe some of my clients, if they catch on to this, they can <laughs> let me know. But, um, and I feel like the stigma about having stopped drinking is worse than if you were still drinking. Like, because as a society, is, you feel like drinking is, like you said before, is the thing that you people do. It's just yeah. what we do. Yeah. So. It's almost like, well, what, what's wrong with you? Why couldn't you handle that? You know? And, um, sometimes I also wonder, isn't this really the gateway drug? You know, people talk about marijuana being the gateway drug or whatever. Doesn't it really start right here with a substance that's legal in our society? Good point. That's a good point. So, so if we go back to all the people that we spoke to, most of them mentioned both. Yeah. So that's a good point. Yeah, like that's, now that's that I'm going through my head and thinking of each individual that we spoke to or anyone that I've come in contact with through the years or drinking as well. Yeah. So... Um, the term alcoholic. I figured somebody asked me that question. You guys haven't ask. asked that yet. <laughs> <laughs> They're getting rid of that I just term. beat you to it. <laughs> They're trying to get away it, from what, that term. Substance user or something like that? Uh, alcohol use disorder. Yeah. Alcohol use disorder. So it's substance abuse disorder, um, disorder for drugs and it's alcohol. Yeah. 
I don't like the word alcoholic. I think it's just kind of degrading and it's really kind of unequal, I guess, in the description to other disorders. Like somebody quits smoking, you don't go, oh, I'm a smokeaholic. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm just, I, I really have struggled with that word. I, I use it, but I don't really like it. Um, I've chosen to be alcohol free. I mean, much like you said, you know, I'm just want to live alcohol free, but that's my thoughts on the term alcoholic. <laughs> and we as a society and, and I'm guilty of it too. Even like an alcoholic, I said it how many times today, like we as a society have to start using the correct verbiage. And then you have the stigma of people saying, well, that's what you are. Yeah. You know, we go through that when we hear people say about our son was an addict. Well, that's what he was, but mm -hmm. it's a harsh word yeah. and, and alcoholic that, is in, a harsh word. That's in your opinion. And that's though. their opinion. And that's the stigma though. It is a stigma. And it's, you know, we still, there's tons of people that think, oh, the alcoholic, that, that, that's the person that's homeless and they're down under the bridge drinking out of the paper bag and don't have a job and all that. And that's not always the case. Mm. Most people that have alcohol trouble don't go that far. Mm -hmm. You've just explained you've been to lacrosse games. You've been <laughs> a PTO <laughs> mother. Like you've done all this. And the whole time I'm thinking, and nobody knew. Like you were functioning and nobody knew the struggles that you had, even the mental issues that you were dealing with. Because I'm sure you were one of those parents that were out there screaming and cheering for your kids and did everything for your kids. And nobody knew. Like nobody no. knew. I was probably a bad influence on some of the other mothers. <laughs> Actually, I know I was. <laughs> so been, been there, done that with my wife. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I think with Mary, the all of these issues that she had really manifested in high productivity. I mean, that's really, you know, and, and who knew that there was issues or if you want to call them illnesses that, were driving all of that and and me as her husband when she stopped um, trying to understand well wait a minute you can't cook thanksgiving dinner like you're freaking out about this and it's mainly because the whole time before she was drinking mm -hmm. you know and now that you quit drinking you, you've lost that crutch and all of a sudden it becomes overwhelming. Yeah. Like, we've been doing this for years and years and years and not never a word. I mean, um, you know, with the, the mental health issues and, and, and that becoming, you know, coming to light and the medicine that that has, that she takes for that has, you know, opened up a whole different set of things yeah. that on my side is has been difficult to to understand well wait a minute you've been acting this particular way all these years and now now you're changed <laughs> and, it, and it, not not for the worse you know it but it is yeah. a, a change and the, uh, there's a different you know those are the kind of things you have to w try to work through and understand awesome so ross has just had like three different wives in his marriage. That's all. <laughs> um, Sometimes all in the same day. <laughs> those are the scary days. 
So um, I'm going to talk about two other things. I'm like hogging up all the time, I'm sure. People that go through the recovery, there's something called pause. And I haven't heard anybody else talk about this on your podcast yet. PAWS, post-acute withdrawal syndrome, in particularly the first year. And without getting into technical terms, there's a really good analogy that I think works. All the time you were using in your brain, if you can picture you're hiking in the woods, and there's this path that you just keep going down every day. Every day you're going down this path and it gets to the point that there's nothing growing on it. It's all clear. You got ruts in it. It's so well worn. You can do it with your eyes closed. And all of a sudden you stop. You stop this behavior and you got to take that path over there that's got some brambles and there's rocks in the way and there's yeah and you have got it in your brain get to the point that you get that other pathway going and you know i was talking to about this to my therapist and she said it's really true even more so in your case because you used for so long Mm -hmm. If you go 54 minus 11, take out four pregnancies. I didn't drink when I was pregnant. <laughs> and the other um, couple hundred days I quit, I am on date 258. That's good. Dom said he wants to catch me. so <laughs> Congratulations stay on that. on my tail. Thank you. Um, and one other thing for people out there that are also in recovery Remember halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Any of those are happening to you at the same time you're having a craving, fix them, not your craving. Um, and I think that one other reason I came here was really a personal reason besides wanting to help people with the tools. I lived a life using that was a dichotomy I hit it so well mm-hmm. and it took an awful lot of energy to do that I decided when I got sober this time I didn't want to live that lie anymore I, I was just gonna let it out there and this was one more step of me doing it it's cool awesome <sighs> All right. Any questions for me? I think I talked out. You did a great job. (laughs) And we appreciate that because you're helping us as we're helping you and you're helping whoever listens to this podcast. We're not a large podcast. Austin and I have this conversation a lot when people say to us, how many people are looking at your post now? How many people? Like, that doesn't matter to me. I don't want to have millions of followers. If that happens, so be it. But we're not out there advertising and looking for that. Like, your story today is going to help somebody. Mm-hmm. We might not get a response. There might not be a comment that we can see that somebody put on Facebook or whatever. But it's going to mean something to somebody. That somebody's going to be, aha, like, maybe that is me. Maybe I am in denial. And I really do have a problem. And that goes as far as mental health and the and alcoholism. Because... 
people hide stuff Mm -hmm. and they're afraid because of the stigma and this is powerful. And so we appreciate that you came and we're glad this is one more step in your recovery. Um, and we just branched from this. So now Ross said, you know what? He was looking for a podcast. So now we need to get somebody from a person that's living the life with you. Mm-hmm. He's going to be back. He, he's going to tell his story <laughs> because it affects the families as well. Yeah. You know, it affects everybody that you're around, whether it's your friend, your kids. I mean, I asked you a question. Did your kids know? We weren't really sure. You said, I wish Dave was here. So what did they think at that time? You know, we can take somebody's story and always branch off and get some information. So thank you for sharing with us. Yeah, thank you. Ross will be back. <laughs> <laughs> you can come along. He can yeah. talk as much as me. I'm but, sure. <laughs> but we're learning so much. And uh, our goal is, again, it was always only ever to help one person. Right. And we've done that several times oh, now. Well, yeah. It definitely helped me, like you said. And yep. I mean, it is one more step in yeah. my recovery to basically That's cool. That's steal awesome. these other ladies, just the one lady's phrase but to recover out loud because i i can't do it i can't hide like i did when i was drinking it, it just wears me out wore me out too much yeah. yep so awesome. where where can people find you and you said yeah instagram right i don't um well i don't even know what my instagram is what i about? follow people on instagram <laughs> i don't post anything what about facebook i am on facebook i'm just mary patterson okay. I, I guess you'd have to look this locality because Mary Patterson's a, There's a, a lot, yeah. lot of names. Sure um, Patterson, yeah. I am in Felton. Okay. That's so cool. you can private message me. I'll answer. I mean, I'll help anybody that yeah. awesome. I can. I'm not a doctor. so <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a mom that has a story. You have yeah. experience though. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Thank you for the all the work on the research and information. We'll get some pictures, folks. So if you're listening and you want to see, we'll take a picture of the books. I want to take a picture of her cards that she created. Um, I wish I had a picture of my... I, I know I have it. I can find that sobriety survival kit I had. It probably sat on the counter for, what, the first six weeks. Good while. Yeah. yeah. I, I even got into it a couple of times. <laughs> I know. He stole my chocolate. <laughs> Just be helping. I, I was recovering, too. <laughs> You're just a tool. What uh, yeah. you recovering? Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I don't know. Thanks for uh, listening to the podcast. And thanks again for coming on, guys. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. And uh, hope you guys like it.